Welcome to Trial by Wine. We take a closer look at crimes that highlight how fascinating humans can be. Schmitty, Swanee and Clarky visit crimes and run them through their jury of three, debating both sides of the case to agree an appropriate, if totally fictitious, sentence. Please be advised, Trial by Wine may include explicit or disturbing content and will include drunken rambling. Listener discretion is advised. <laughs> All right, how are we? Yes, very well. Not too bad. Oh, you've upset Swanee. Oh, you're you right, Swanee. You need to lift me up. Oh, Don't well, you bring love- me down today. Are you going to have something sort of upbeat and... <laughs> No. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> See, this is this is the thing, right? Once you're downtrodden, it's hard to get back up again because people just keep it walking on you. And this is what Schmidt is going to do. Well, I didn't know you he was going to go back to his dark side, but he did. Anyway, before we get on to my story, today's a bit of a special episode. Is it? Why? Do tell. Well, it's our 100th episode. Oh, my gosh. Are we centurions? No, we, well, I don't know about that, but what's the song? They said you'd but never make it. But you remember you that song? finally yes. came through. Lily they came said through. Never yeah. Never well, when we started this, this one for you or something, maybe, maybe. for you. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. Is it a beer ad? Is it a beer, isn't it? It's, I think it's, it's a beer. Yeah, it's a beer. I, so. I always go back to beer ads, don't I? They're the we best. all do. They're from our era, yes. When we first started, uh, not that he said it to my face, but a certain person who I'm now married to didn't think that it would last more than a few weeks, this little fad of ours, oh. and it's now been just under two, ye- two years, yeah. just under two years of recording. It was a Swan Lager ad. For Swanee, Swanee Lager ad. This one's amazing. <laughs> And your golf is there were different ones. It's Mark Richards, isn't it? No, that's Golfer. Greg Norman. Oh, is it? Greg Norman. Oh, Greg Norman. Oh, Greg Norman. Oh, Nice. Bring back Mojo. Now that was real advertising. Wasn't it? <laughs> I loved it. It was. Mojo were phenomenal. Mm. <sighs> there you go. All right. Well, on that note, I suppose we should introduce ourselves. Who are we? I'm Schmitty. I'm Swanee. And I'm Clarky. And together we are. Trial by wine. And what are we drinking? Have you, you've told SJP to piss off, I hope, boys. Because you gave us the heads up that you were going to give us a pretty nasty one, we booted her to the curb and we're um, on to the Delatite Rosé. Oh, delicious. Delicious. Here we do. We are. Oh. Yes. What about you, Shani? Yeah. Uh, nothing. Empty can. Oh, <laughs> oh she's cracked it. I, for, I forget. I forgot to stop myself. Oh, yeah. I forgot to stop myself. Oh. Quick, someone send her a hug. Text, text, the, text a family member. 
SOS, Sonita Rose. I'm drinking still on a, a vodka tonic, but I also have my last mango chutney for this episode. So I suppose I should get on with it. By now, I'm sure you're convinced from our last episode that I did that werewolves really do walk amongst us. Not only is that true, and yes, I used inverted commas, but apparently you can actually be a kind of mix of cryptid and, you know, something else when you're all kinds of insane. I came across this story while looking at the werewolf crimes and this is yet another bizarre and full-on story I've never heard of. It's I've called it a crossover cryptid, but then I uh, discovered that one of the things he's referred to is... A crossover cryptid. (laughs) Yeah, but then it turns out that vampires are not cryptids, so it's not really a crossover cryptid, yeah. Um, But it's sort of a crossover anyway because this uh, guy was called the Werewolf of Wisteria, that's why I found it, and he was also known as the Brooklyn Vampire and the Moon Maniac. I quite like that one. (laughs) The Moon Maniac? It's his moon. That's got a real ring to it. (laughs) Oh, you're such a moon man, yeah? Yeah, the boogeyman uh, and the grey man, which is also not a cryptid as far as I know, but it is a little bit like Slenderman. Slenderman, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, So my sources are Wikipedia, Ranker, CrimeMuseum.com, AllThat'sInteresting.com and an exceptionally detailed book available on TrueTV.com by Marilyn Bardsley. What was the book titled? Oh, I don't know. It's just on there. I don't think it had... Might have had a time. No worries, no worries. I thought that was going to give it away. That's why I asked. I know I've covered some doozies before and I do know that we have recently uh, pointed out that Clarkie does all the dark ones and not that I'm trying to knock him off his uh, pedestal or anything like that. The story I've got to tell you had me feeling quite nauseous while I was actually reading it and I normally don't feel that way when I'm researching so big time trigger warnings this story deals with horrific sexual and physical abuse kidnap murder and mutilation of children oh my god look at that smile on your face nothing like a Friday night (laughs) the depths of despair we'll do this again won't we Swanee (laughs) (laughs) so Hamilton Howard Albert Fish, which Is that the reminded me. No, but you know, um, remember how Bud Tingle used to, I can't remember his, Charles, I think it was Charles Bud Tingle and Bud was always in inverted commas because he preferred to be called Bud. Well, Albert's yeah. a bit the same. He was first born on the 19th of May in 1870 in, so we're back in the timey whiny in Washington, D.C. In what year, sorry? 1870. 1870. You you can at least have a separation of time with this one. Okay. His early life didn't get off to the best of starts. His parents had grasped the concept of a May-December romance with gusto, though in their case it probably should be called a February-December romance. Are you going to ask what it is, Clarkie, or do you know? I have no idea. Is it a thing? Do you know what it is, Swanee? There's a huge age gap between them, yeah. So usually old man, young woman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there like a Richard Gere movie or something? Is there called? I don't know what's, where it came from, but yeah, this expression. What's of the a, one? What, what's the expression that you normally use? May, I don't December. Really get it. May December. Right. May December. Well, put it this way. It's only a few months. It refers to a romantic relationship where there is a drastic difference in age between the two participants. That will become clear in my next sentence. Randall Fish was seventy-five, so Hamilton's or Albert. His father was 75 when Albert was born 
and he was oh, 43 Jesus. years older than in his wife. In the 1800s. Ellen. Yeah, and his wife Ellen was He's 43 like years younger. Yoda. <laughs> yes. L- living to the mid 70s in the 1870s, that's not normal, mm. is it? Mm. Oh, I need to add something. This is why it matters. And I did understand this because I learned this in the movie. It was based on cent- uh, Central Park. It relates to seasons. So, um, again, obviously not a Southern Hemisphere thing, but the month symbolise the seasons with spring representing youth and winter representing old age. So you get it? So the young person is May, right. December. So spring, yes, to, that's okay. what I had. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would have been useful okay. when I wrote my notes because February is also winter, so that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've all learnt something and... We have, Winter and I am glad winter. you enjoyed that little laugh. That was good. Um, but <laughs> it's all, the last one you'll have. <laughs> yeah. Clearly his swimmers were working, though one might ask whether there was some degradation of the genetic matter once we get further down the line. Oh, no. Albert was the youngest of four, and although his real name was Hamilton, he was given the nickname Ham and Eggs, which he hated so much, that he so he decided he preferred Albert, which was actually the name of one of his siblings who was deceased. So I thought that was a bit gross. His father somewhat, yeah, father somewhat unsurprisingly died when he was just five, (laughs) as in Albert was just five, not his father. He didn't Benjamin Butler. So he made it to 80. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And his mother couldn't cope, his mother Ellen, she couldn't cope with the children all life. She had some issues. So he was put in an orphanage where he spent much of his childhood. Oh. So... At some point I'm going to start calling him Bertie because I prefer that over Albert. Not only was his mother suffering with you mental illness. You do you, illness, darling. It's a story about you, not him. Mm-hmm. A bunch of other relatives <laughs> were also afflicted. An uncle with mania, a brother who was put in a mental hospital, a half-brother with schizophrenia, and his sister was diagnosed with a mental affliction. I don't know what it was. His, his mother, Ellen, also had oral and visual hallucinations, and three other relatives were diagnosed with mental illness. So I guess it would have been pretty amazing if young Bertie didn't have some sort of affliction. At the orphanage, life was pretty shit. The children were <laughs> regularly beaten and abused. I've seen all of them. I know how it goes. That's well, stopped, worse. That stopped me laughing in my tracks. I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh sorry. No, sorry, orphan. No, it was shit. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Sorry, orphans. Sorry, orphans. So the orphans were regularly beaten and abused and at times encouraged to do terrible things to each other. It was in this environment that Bertie developed a taste for pain. He relished the beatings and began to form a sexual pleasure from the pain his tormentors inflicted on him and others. By 1880... He might get a role in the Da Vinci Code. Mm, yeah, he's a bit. So he, he likes a bit of self-flagellation. Yeah. yeah. By 1880, Ellen was able to get a government job and took him out of the orphanage. But he would say later the damage was already done. Two years later, at the age of 12, Bertie started a relationship with a telegraph boy who was also into some niche activities. Niche activities. Mm-hmm. So I've I've heard the expression "Don't yuck my yum." And I have no issue with consenting adults doing what they like with whom they like as long as everyone agrees and knows what the deal is. But underage kids engaging in urolagnia and coprophagia, 
Which, if we hark back to episode two, the Swiss cheese pervert, I talked about various forms of paraphilia. The first, which I can't say again, is defined as associating sexual excitement with the sight or thought of urine, including drinking or bathing in urine, wetting yourself or seeing someone else do it, smelling urine-soaked clothing or body parts, and in modern slang can be called water sports. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I tell you, though, if anyone enjoys this, there are a few multi-level car parks in Melbourne that just reek of piss. Get yourselves down there. <laughs> or alleyways. Yeah. The stairwell. Oh, God. The stairwells. Oh, the stairwell. Oh, makes there, your eyes water. There's an alleyway Oof. in Melbourne that runs between Lonsdale and Little Collins, I think it is, and it's one person wide until you get oh. to a bit of it. And literally when... It's hard having two people walk past each other. It's kind of uncomfortable, but it reeks. And I don't know why people would pick hmm. that spot, but I think it must be there on Lonsdale and they are that desperate. They just go, oh, look. I think it's homeless people. I've always felt it was homeless oh, people. Oh, really? Well, yeah. You know how homeless people, well, maybe it's just because they I reckon smell it's just drunken idiots. I, I was in a Bunnings the other day and I watched this man and he was about, I don't know, 10 metres away from me. And I smelled him before I saw him, mm. and he smelled like he was homeless. Is that and because you're him. a werewolf? <laughs> no, it's so stank. Because yeah. <laughs> he reeked of piss, of stale oh. urine. And you're not a cryptid. Just filth, no. And I watched him, and I thought, he's dodgy. And then later, Mum and I were in the garden centre, and I watched him walk past me with a pack of Ryobi something or other. And he, he did the runner on it. Oh. And um, the police were there five minutes later or whatever, but I just, it was the smell that. Did they catch him? Follow anyway. the scent? They got the sniffer no, no. dogs out. <laughs> I did say he smells really bad. You can and find they were him. All the uh, time. I thought they thought I was crazy. Yeah. But I did give a very good description of him because of all the work that we do in trial by wine. I, my, I was much <laughs> I more aware. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You not only profiled him, you gave him suggestions as to what you thought his background and I knew childhood may have been like. Which one I knew he, he would was have a shoplifter. Run. Yeah. I could have yeah. said to them, that guy's going to shoplift. I watched him and I go, You go, gateway crime, get, you, get him, get him down. I literally went, mum, 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 see that guy there? He's about to run mum, off with mum, those tools. Get the chainsaw. Turns around and woof, we goes. Yeah, anyway, the second paraphilia that I spoke of was is coprophagia is, as you may have already guessed it, eating shit. I had not. Yes. Had I not did not guess that. that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even. No. no I, to be honest, close. I didn't guess anything. I was too lazy at this point to just, I was like, Ooh. you'll tell me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. Well, I've told you. I've been told. I'm not even going to ask to remember the name. It's like they've given it a name so no one will ever guess. <laughs> Poo Chomper. But he was a bit of a shit eater. Now, undoubtedly, you want to know who's shit. And apparently, it can be anyone's or any species that turns you on. uh, Actually, (gasps) is there a way we can fast forward this podcast past this bit? So, that Poozeum in in Hobart, oh, imagine how they'd be so excited in a Poozeum. It's funny because when I was. When I was writing this, at this exact point in this part of the story, I decided to have a little break and I went outside. Is that a euphemism? For no, 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 poo? I just went outside. I think I went to the toilet and then, <laughs> then I went outside. Had a Kit Kat? Then I went outside and I was on the balcony. I looked down and there's Boof and he's sniffing Ooh. his own poo and then he does this little look around and then he's about to, because he likes to eat his own poo, and then I got his attention and said, don't you do that, and I caught him and I picked, you know, 
got the got a poo bag and cleaned it up, whatever. And I was laughing to myself, going, "Oh, that dog! He's got coprophagia. He has." And I thought, "I don't, you, you filthy little coprophagia face or whatever it is, coprophagia, coprophagia, coprophagia." Although no, he doesn't. He, he doesn't do it for sex. I don't know why he does it. I can tell you what he does do, do for sex, though, because because he enjoys a bucket. Are you right down? Are you right down there? Are you right down there? He, he, <laughs> oh my god! He grabs himself on a bucket oh, and gets a leg very like excited. Else does. No, he likes a bucket. Right. We call it his fucket bucket. Those people who don't know who Buff is, he's a Staffordshire Terrier that belongs to my husband. I was going to yeah. make up something real too quick. My I child, Buff is like they're next door neighbours. <laughs> Son, fourteen-year-old <laughs> son. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we keep him downstairs in a dungeon. <laughs> so Bertie he comes then, through the hole in the fence. That's right. Yeah, literally. And he also walks around sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Bertie then started to hang out at the public baths where he liked to watch and would spend a lot of his weekends perving on other boys. Do you remember the Guinness ad? I like to watch. Yeah, I do. Absolutely, yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah, I like to watch. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when he wasn't busy doing that, he was crafting obscene letters, a pen pal of sorts, to women whose details he got from the classifieds and marriage agencies. So fast forward a few years and in 1890, at the age of 20, Bertie moved to the Big Apple. Now, a lot of people go to New York to find fame on Broadway or work on Wall Street or any of the many legal employment opportunities the big city affords. Bertie decided to become a prostitute and spent his time molesting and raping little boys. He also I found you were going to say he went there for the variety. He didn't have to become a prostitute to do that. No, but he was doing it as well. Yeah, no, yeah. that. Right. That was just his. Side he was hustle. prostituting himself. That's how he made he the money to oh, get around. Also abusing Pedoing. Yes. Pedoing, yeah. I think that's the correct term. <laughs> I think at that point in time, he. he Definitely preyed on people who were vulnerable. So we're talking about very poor children, kids that he didn't think that anyone would care about or notice. That old and it was chestnut. the 1890s, right? So there were lots of kids that people didn't care about or notice. Anyway, uh, he also found time to get married to a woman named Anna in 1898 what? when he was 28. I didn't see that coming. I'm going to have to hazard a guess that he was bisexual. Uh, Anna was 21 at the time and he went on. they went on to produce six children together. Oh, really? my Lord. Yep. He was continuing to have sexual encounters and relationships with men and raping boys throughout his marriage. He recalled going to a wax museum with one of his lovers where he was fascinated by a bisection of a human penis and there was born his latest kink, sexual mutilation. Around 1910, Bertie was working in Wilmington, Delaware. As a prostitute? No, he wasn't at that point in time, I think. After he got married, did he like have like a... A veneer of respectability. Uh, Might be yeah. when he went to Delaware. Did he work in the poo farm? Imagine him in a sewerage work. No, I think they do free lunch at the poo farm. You something. wouldn't believe it. <laughs> I think he was a painter, decorator, or a handyman or something. He wasn't working at a sewerage farm. Oh, he would. He would never got any work done if he was in a sewerage oh, farm. No. Goes to Wilmington, and then he. I wasn't sure exactly when he left New York. And then he started a relationship with a 19-year-old called Thomas Kedden. And I think Bertie was about 40, did I say he was born in 1870? Carla, yep. 1870, yeah. Yeah, 1870. Yeah. He so, moved to New York in 1890. Yeah, and where are we now? Uh, Wilmington, Delaware in 1910. Yeah. So I love how you're referring to Carla's notes, not your I know, Well, because well I have to slide up and then I'll lose <laughs> my spot. And I know she I just t- do dates I and know stuff. she does. I just she do dates does. and stuff. And geograph. Ge- geograph. Geography. Yeah, geography. Mm. She does the geography. Geography. Yeah. Geography, yeah. 
He starts this relationship, 19-year-old Thomas Kedden. The two were engaged in a sadomasochistic relationship. Though there is some suggestion that Thomas was intellectually disabled and may not have consented or really understood what they were up to. Gross. After 10 days of hooking up, Bertie invited Thomas to an old farmhouse where he locked him up and tortured him for two weeks. He had the plan to kill Thomas dismember him and take him home but then he was concerned that as it was hot weather the smell would draw attention to him so he tied poor thomas up cut off half of his penis poured peroxide (sighs) over it wrapped it in a vaseline soaked hanky gave him ten dollars kissed him goodbye and left of this encounter bertie he hanged on to the half his penis or did he give it Mm. to him it's a little bit sad ave isn't it a little bit of this encounter bertie recalled i shall never forget his scream or the look he gave me Took the first train I could get back home. Never heard what became of him or tried to find out. As Bertie became more erratic and mad, because I think he was pretty nutty, his poor wife Anna left him for another man in 1917. Sadly, she didn't take the kids with her and they were left with Bertie. But I did read that he didn't abuse his own children, just other people's, though he did encourage them and their friends to paddle his bot-bot with his nail-studded paddle. What a guy. What? Right up there. Oh, what, your dad, didn't, your dad didn't do that? I don't remember that, no. Who well, has a nail-studded paddle anyway? Yeah, see, we didn't have a nail-studded paddle. If we did, I'm sure yeah, that, asked. Right. Had to use a wooden spoon instead. It's the old yeah. self-flagellation tool. Yeah. Yes. Now, his wife leaving him probably tipped him over whatever edge was left, though how you can call the past 20 years of some sick shit a precipice, I'm not sure. Anyway, <laughs> the voices in his head were urging him to go further, do more harm. He started that by hurting himself and he did enjoy pain after all. That's a good point to start. Yeah, he would embed needles into his groin and abdomen. Oh, I read somewhere that more specifically he would push them into his anus and perineum. Oh, I used to do that. Yeah. Do you get a safety pin and put it? Do you remember what Just I was talking skin. about? When you get a safety pin and go under the skin? Yeah. Do you remember that yeah. thing? That everyone, I saw it referenced some other day and I'd forgotten. Oh, I, I thought you meant in your That's anus. Kids in, no, no. No, I was just joking. But you're like kids in the 80s, oh. you know. It was used to yeah, be like yeah, a, a, absolutely. A, a, and put it just under the skin. Yeah, I like, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you can relate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I did make me laugh. I did make me laugh when I saw it. I thought, fuck yeah, I did do yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> when you say into his anus, do you mean through the hole that was already there or did he make another one? No, he just would push, I suppose, the puckery bit. He would just push a nail as far up as he could. He didn't remove them. He pushed them all up and left them there. Oh, what? He left them there for what, forever? Or how long? Yeah, I'll get to at the end of the story. How did that? At the end of the story, well, I'll tell you. That can't go happens. well, can it? Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And oh. here we have it, something that we haven't heard before. I've not heard and that before. And then did he before. go and have cock and bum <laughs> fun? Let oh. me tell you what he did also. He liked to do a bit of the old oh. self-flagellation, as I said, hitting himself with his nail-studded paddle. And he also enjoyed inserting wool soaked with lighter fluid into his anus and setting it alight. Blimey. Oh, what? So imagine lots Enjoy of cotton wool. Enjoy doing that. Put a bit of lighter fluid on it. Pop it up your, I what mean, I call it the other day, bum sack. Up your bum sack. Your bum sack. <laughs> Set it on fire. I'm no. guessing it burns what, what the interior wrong? of your bum sack. Oh, it's until so you much actually fun. Have it makes me laugh. You would so bru- – oh, my God, the, the damage that, that would do. Hurt. Oh, it really would hurt. Not. That was the point. He enjoyed pain. Oh, but right. beyond hurt, that would scar yeah, that would you. damage, and, though. I'm, yeah, I'm yeah, amazed you didn't die. Get rid of all um, your polyps, though. 
<laughs> I'm amazed. Certainly, it wouldn't have had a That's why I didn't get back. That's cancer. for sure. <laughs> no, a bit singed. Oh, I'm amazed you didn't die of infection. burning hair. Yeah. Wish you had it by the sounds of it. Things start to escalate, and in 1919, Bertie stabbed an intellectually disabled boy in Georgetown. Like so many other killers, he basically looked for people who were on the fringes of society. He also said he paid boys to procure other children for him, so you can chalk sex yep, trafficking up as a charge too. Though the outcome was sexual pleasure for him, he tortured, mutilated and murdered children with what he called his implements of hell, a meat cleaver, butcher's oh. knife and a handsaw. As things escalated, he had a couple of goes at some kids who turned out to be very lucky. Beatrice Keel uh, came across his path in July 1924, but her mother chased him off. He came back again, but fortunately Beatrice's father saw him off and so she was safe. Sadly, three days later, Francis MacDonald was not so lucky. In July of 1924, eight-year-old Francis MacDonald played on the front porch of his home in the pastoral Charlton Wood section of Staten Island. His mother sat nearby nursing her infant daughter when she saw a gaunt elderly man with grey hair and moustache in the middle of the street. So at this point he's about 54. But he did look like a sham- shambly old, like he had, he was quite grey at this point. He looked quite yeah. old. Yeah. Those well. needles up his arse will do that. Yeah. Too. I wouldn't have thought that would make him tip grey. And those wool rockets, yeah. She stared at the strange, shabby old man who constantly clenched and unclenched his fists and mumbled to himself. Butthole that was clenching. That scary old man, yeah. From the The voices in his head. He tipped his dusty hat to her and then disappeared down the street. Later that afternoon, the old man was seen again watching Francis and four other boys play ball. The old man called Francis over to him. The other boys continued to play ball. A few minutes later, both the old man and Francis had disappeared. A neighbour noticed a boy that looked like Francis walking that afternoon into a wooded area with an elderly grey-haired tramp behind him. When Francis failed to come home after his game of catch, he was reported missing and a search began. They found the body of Francis hanging by a tree in the woods near his home. He'd been sexually assaulted, strangled with his own suspenders, beaten and had extensive lacerations to his legs and abdomen. The autopsy report also indicated that his left hamstring had been almost stripped of flesh. What? Whilst the description, he, he flayed him a bit. Whilst the description of the grey man was provided, the police were unable to find anyone fitting it and the case went cold. And that's man. where he gets that yeah. name. One of his names is the grey man. The grey man. On February 11, 1927, three-year-old Billy Beaton and his 12-year-old brother were playing in the apartment hallway in Brooklyn with four-year-old Billy Gaffney. So two Billy boys, but little kids. When the 12-year-old left for his apartment, he'd actually heard his little baby sister crying. So he went to see what was up with her because he'd been left to babysit all of them. When he came back, he found Billy Beaton, the three-year-old, on the roof of the apartment When and there was no sign of Billy Gaffney. When asked what happened to Gaffney, Beaton said the boogeyman took him. Gaffney's body was never recovered. The following year... On May 25, 1828, Bertie saw a classified advertisement in the Sunday edition of the New York World that read, Young man, 18, wishes position in country. Edward Butt, 406 West 15th Street. Bertie, then 58 years old, visited the Butt family in Manhattan under the pretense of hiring Edward. He later confessed that he planned to tie Edward up, mutilate him and leave him to bleed to death. 
He introduced himself as Frank Howard, a farmer from Farmingdale, New York. He promised to hire Bud and his friend Willie and said he would send for them in a few days. He didn't show up when he was meant to come, but then he sent a telegram to the Bud family apologising and set a later date. When Bertie returned, he met Edward's younger sister, 10-year-old Grace Bud. Grace had just come in from church wearing her white confirmation dress, stockings and pearls, and immediately Bertie decided he had to eat her. <gasps> he impressed the family by asking Grace to count oh. how much money he had. And he had about $92 on him, which was a small fortune at the time because the, they were a little bit like the dad, he looks like a tramp, right? He's dressed really badly and he says he's got this really successful farm and everyone's really happy there and they've got really good staff and everything's really great. And so the dad was a bit unsure about the whole thing, but when he pulls out this wadge of cash, he's starting to think, oh, okay, you know, maybe he just doesn't dress very well. So he tells them that he has to go to his niece's birthday party and that's why, I was le- that's why I had to go. As he was leaving, almost as an aside or, a, a, you know, a, a sudden thought, he says, oh, why don't I take Gracie to the party? You know, there'll be other little girls there for her to play with. It'll be nice for her and I'll have her back around tea time. Now, Grace's mother, Delia, wasn't really keen on this, but the father thought it'd be a nice treat, so he, they let her go and they never saw Grace again. An investigation launched, but the address he'd given for the party was fictitious, as was this Frank Howard. Initially, the police response was huge, with lots of public notices looking for Grace, but over time, the case went totally cold. One investigator, William F. King, continued to try to solve the case. At this time, they had no clues, nothing to go on. So William would plant the odd fake story in the newspaper column, which was written by Walter Winchell. So he'd seed fake stories and little things of pieces with that intention of trying to get either people give us a clue or the killer themselves will come out. And um, on November the 2nd, 1934, Winchell picked this up writing in his column, I checked on the Grace Bud mystery. She was eight when she was kidnapped about six years ago. And it's safe to tell you that the Department of Missing Persons will break the case or they expect to in four weeks. Ten days later... Delia Budd received a letter. However, she was actually illiterate, so she couldn't read it. It was just so, a piece of paper. And, and frankly, in this case, it was probably a good thing. No, it had words on it, but she couldn't read it. So her son, Edward, read it to her, and then he ran off to get the detective. Okay, now brace yourselves. God, what? This is the this letter. This is the bit we've got to brace ourselves and, for. And do her mother. Needles up the butt and eating. Don't tell her oh. what he did to her. My dear Mrs. Budd, in... In 1894, a friend of mine shipped as a deckhand on the steamer Tacoma, Captain John Davis. They sailed from San Francisco to Hong Kong, China. On arriving there, he and two others went ashore and got drunk. When they returned, the boat was gone. At that time, there was a famine in China. Meat of any kind was from $1 to $3 a pound. So great was the suffering among the very poor that all the children under 12 were sold to the butchers to be cut up and sold for food in order to keep others from starving. A boy or girl under 14 was not safe in the street. You could go in any shop and ask for steak, chops or stewed meat. Part of the naked body of a boy or girl would be brought out and just what you wanted cut from it. A boy or girl's behind, which is the sweetest part of the body and sold as a veal cutlet, brought in the highest price. John stayed there so long he acquired a taste for human flesh. On his return to New York, he stole two boys, one seven and one eleven, took them home to... Took them, sorry, took them to his home, stripped them naked, tied them in a closet, then burned everything they had on. 
Several times every day and night he spanked them, tortured them to make their meat good and tender. First he killed the 11-year-old boy because he had the fattest ass and, of course, the most meat on it. Every part of his body was cooked and eaten except head, bones and guts. He was roasted in the oven, all of his ass, boiled, broiled, fried, stewed. The little boy was next, went the same way. All that time I was living in 409 East 100 St. Rear right side. He told me so often how good human flesh was, I made up my mind to taste it. On Sunday, June 3rd, 1928, I called on you at 406 West 15th Street, brought you pot cheese, strawberries. We had lunch. Grace sat in my lap and kissed me. I made up my mind to eat her on the pretense of taking her to a party. You said yes, she could go. I took her to an empty house in Westchester I had already picked out. When we got there, I told her to remain outside. She picked wildflowers. I went upstairs and stripped all my clothes off. I knew if I did not, I would get her blood on them. When I was ready, I went to the window and called her. Then I hid in a closet until she was in the room. When she saw me all naked, she began to cry and tried to run downstairs. I grabbed her and she said she would tell her mama. It took me nine days to eat her entire body. How's that for a letter to receive, eh? Mm. Six years after your kids disappeared. No words. Speechless. It's a shocker. Oh, he, he, he writes some shocking letters, i got to tell you. This gave them some clues, mostly that only Frank Howard would have known the particulars of the pot cheese in the first meeting, so they knew it was coming from the killer, yeah. right? And the way in which Grace was taken. Unsurprisingly, they couldn't find anything on this Captain John character because he didn't exist. And most likely the first part of the letter is a weird fantasy. And the bit about the two boys that Captain John's supposed to have eaten could have been previous victims of Bertie. We don't know. What Bertie hadn't accounted for, though, is the power of stationery. The envelope that the letter was sent in had an emblem on it which represented the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association. And look, I don't know about you, but I can't imagine that there were tens of thousands of members of the New York Private Chauffeurs Benevolent Association at the time. So the police requested fingerprints from all the members and none matched the letter or the envelope. Then a young janitor from the company admitted that he'd taken some of the stationery and he'd left it at his boarding room at 200 East 52nd Street when he moved out. Sure enough, Bertie had been staying at the rooming house, but he checked out a few days later. Oh, sorry, a few days earlier. So this guy, this young guy goes, oh, I stole what? Borrowed some stationery from work, but I left it there. And then it turns out Bertie had been living in the same room. So that's, that's excellent got detective work. <clears throat> I tell you, William F. King, he is the hero in this story. Now, Bertie had arranged for some money to be sent to him by his son and he'd asked the landlady to hold the cheque for him. The police had been discussing with the landladies and she must have said, oh, he's, he wants to come back for this cheque. So they, they basically set up a little sting. Yeah. So she then contacted Bertie to say, yeah, look, the money's arrived. And so when he showed up, William F. King, the detective, was waiting for him. At first he was okay with going quietly, but then he brandished a razor blade at the police. But William King sorted him out and punched him in the guts hole and he was arrested. I don't know if he actually punched him in the guts hole. Jeez, they would have been pretty impassioned punches though, wouldn't they? Like you'd, you'd... Yeah, but don't give him a nut punch or you get a needle in your hand. Oh. Mm. In no time at all, Bertie confessed to killing Grace Bud, 
He told police he had intended to kill her brother and his mate, but when he saw Grace, he changed his mind. He said it never entered his head to rape the girl, but he later claimed to his attorney that while kneeling on Grace's chest and strangling her, he did have two involuntary ejaculations. Oh. This information was used at trial to make the claim the kidnapping was sexually motivated, thus avoiding any mention of cannibalism, which I can only assume was to protect the family. I don't know why they wouldn't talk about the cannibalism. Except the family already knew, didn't they, because of the letter? The letter, I I don't know. Yeah, maybe. So because even though he'd only uh, confessed to killing Grace, his picture was in the paper because it was a bit of sensation, right? And because his picture was in the paper, witnesses who had seen him on other occasions then came forward. So in the case of Billy Gaffney, initially a serial killer named Peter Kudzanowski was a suspect, but then Joseph Meehan, a motorman on a Brooklyn trolley, saw a picture of Bertie and identified him as the old man whom he saw on February 11, 1927. The old man had been trying to quiet a little boy by sitting with him on the trolley. The boy wasn't wearing a jacket, was crying for his mother and was dragged by the man on and off the trolley. Beaton's description of the boogeyman matched Bertie. Police matched the description of the child to Gaffney. Remember little Billy Beaton? He's the one who talked about the boogeyman. Yeah. So they were connecting that case. They were able to establish he was working in the vicinity of Billy Gaffney's disappearance and had prime opportunity. Bertie claimed the following in a letter to his attorney. And before I start reading this, remember letters by Bertie are very disturbing. So brace yourselves. I brought him to the Riker Avenue dumps. There is a house that stands alone not far from where I took him. I took the G-boy there, stripped him naked and tied his hands and feet and gagged him with a piece of dirty rag I picked out of the dump. Then I burned his clothes, threw his shoes in the dump. Then I walked back and took trolley to 59th Street at 2 a.m. and walked home from there. Next day, about 2 p.m., I took tools, a good heavy cat of nine tails, homemade, short handle, Cut one of my belts in half, slit these half in six strips about eight inches long. I whipped his bear behind till the blood ran from his legs. I cut off his ears, nose, slit his mouth from ear to ear. He was dead then. I picked up four old potato sacks and gathered a pile of stones. Then I cut him up. Then I cut him through the middle of his body, just below his belly button, then through his legs about two inches below his behind. I put this in my grip with a lot of paper. I cut off the head, feet, arms, hands, and then the legs below the knee. This I put in sacks weighted with stones, tied the ends and threw them into the pools of slimy water you will see along the road going to North Beach. They sank at once. I came home with my meat. I never ate any roast turkey that tasted half as good as his sweet, fat little behind. I ate every bit of the meat in about four days. Ugh. So Beatrice Keel's dad, Hans, came forward and identified Bertie as the weirdo who'd been hanging around Port Richmond when Francis McDonald was taken. And the Richmond County District Attorney, Thomas J. Walsh, announced his intention to seek an indictment against him for the boy's murder. Bertie denied being involved, but then in March 1935, after the conclusion of his trial for Grace Budd's murder and his confession to the killing of Billy Gaffney, He then confirmed to investigators that he also raped and murdered McDonald. When the McDonald confession was made public, the New York Daily Mirror wrote that the disclosure solidified Bertie's reputation, and I think we will all agree, as the most vicious child slayer in criminal history. In the trial against Bertie for the murder of Grace Budd, Bertie pled insanity, saying voices from God told him to kill children. Several psychiatrists testified about 
Bertie's sexual fetishisms, which included sadism and masochism, flagellation, exhibitionism, voyeurism, picarism, cannibalism, coprophagia, urophilia, hematolognia, pedophilia, necrophilia, and inflammation. I'm not going to ask in, what in they in are because I don't infibulation. want to know. Infibulation. Well, you know no, most of those. Um, hematolognia is drinking blood. Shut uh, up, Anyway, Defence Counsel James Dempsey. I am. Defence Counsel James Dempsey in his summation noted that Bertie was a psychiatric phenomenon and that nowhere in legal or medical records was there another individual who possessed so many sexual abnormalities. The trial consisted mainly of various psychiatrists debating whether Bertie was sane or insane, as that would impact on the verdict and penalty. Eventually, the jury decided to find him sane and guilty, though they actually thought he was insane, but they wanted him to be executed anyway. Yeah, well played, jury. Which I understand, but I do question the ethics on that, but well, never mind. Ordinarily, I would, but... As he was found guilty of Grace's murder, the judge sentenced him to death by electrocution. And I've... Probably, I figure that's probably why he said, yeah, fine, I did all the others because he was already on death row at that point. He was executed on January the 16th at 1936 at Sing Sing and was buried in the prison cemetery. He was alleged to have helped the executioner position the electrodes on his body. Oh, how yeah, weird Yeah, to get is more pain. Man? I don't know. And then his last words were reportedly, no, I don't even know why I'm here. <laughs> they were his last words. What? Oh, he was, what's the expression? Mad as a cut snake. Cray, yeah. cray. Uh, many knives short of a draw, you know, 20,000 cents short of a, a dollar, etc. short of a sandwich. Sorry, a few sandwiches short of a picnic. Short of a picnic, yeah. According to one witness present, it took two jolts before Bertie died, creating the rumour that the apparatus was short-circuited by the needles that he'd inserted oh. in his body. And they did take an X-ray of his body and there were 29 needles. What? Resident in his groin. Mm. In his groin? Perineum. Stick him like yeah, around not his, everywhere. Not where, yeah, not where the nails were. Perineum. Basically, if I take, if you were to take an X-ray of your, where I'd be looking at your pelvis and your hips, right, and not seeing your flesh because it's an X-ray, imagine 29 yeah, needles, needles that were oh. all I'm about I'm just wondering how many are internal and how many you. are external. They were all internal. Oh. So apparently it's untrue, by the way, that yeah, um, yeah, he course. died in the same fashion and time frame as everyone else in the electric chair. His, uh, he didn't short it out, especially with his needles. <laughs> um, after his execution, his defence attorney, James Dempsey, revealed that he was in possession of his client's final statement. This amounted to several pages of handwritten notes that Bertie apparently penned in the hours just prior to his death. When pressed by the assembled journalists to reveal the document's contents, Dempsey refused, stating, I will never show it to anyone. It was the most Filthy string of obscenities that I have ever read. Thank you. Which, you know, really given the other two, uh, state, the statement and the letter that I read is not surprising. And who knows whether or not whatever he'd written in it was just rambling anyway. Though he was convicted of one murder, so Grace Buds, yeah. and he would confess to the other two as well, so he, he confessed to all three, yeah. he probably did kill other kids and the number could be up to 100, but there's no way to confirm that. Now, as for calling him the werewolf of Wisteria or the Brooklyn vampire, clearly this was just editorialising at the time. As we established in the werewolf episode, with no evidence of transmogrification or even the suggestion <laughs> of from Bertie himself that he was a wolf by night or garlic-hating immortal bloodsucker, clearly the names are a load of old shit. 
However, they did lead me to find him in the big wide world of the internet. So, no, he wasn't a werewolf or a vampire, but he was a monster. And that is Hamilton Howard Albert, the shit eater fish. The shit eater. Thoughts? I'm lost for words. That was that was too much. So am I. I just you crossed the line, Schmitty. That was too much. I like to think. (laughs) I do like to think that he. I mean, I might have done some of that stuff, but I do like to think that by the time he was writing that letter about Grace, and by the time it was that he got himself worked up, and he didn't do half of those things, but he was a sicko, absolute sicko. So he certainly was a cannibal and a sadist and a monster, but he wasn't a werewolf. He wasn't a vampire. Oh, well, that's all right then. Phew, what a relief. Just got bloody dibs on himself, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. No, he didn't call himself Is that. Is it though? So the problem with him, right, though, is... Uh, Tell I me. Before, obviously before... <laughs> is it? Yeah, no? is there a problem? <laughs> yes, the problem with him is how to sentence him from our perspective because I would normally go down the path of some gratuitous, violent, no. painful thing, but he would love it. Yes. So it's sort of like, what What do you do with someone like this? I feel it's like you've like, pushed me I to a know. point where I'm hard... I'm, still recovering before I can even judge. Like that was, that was pretty horrid. It's partial. You didn't really need to read those letters out. I mean, you know, much as I love you, well, maybe you'd like to rethink that for your next episode like this. I listened to 53, I listened to 53 accounts of evisceration, emasculation, strangling, stabbing, eye gouging from you. So, you know, people in glass houses, my friend. <laughs> You also she could have tell you, vicious again. Stories. It's not a competition. You could have <laughs> learnt from it and gone. No, I don't want to do that. But no, no, hold my beer, as Swanee said well, last episode. A, it would have been a quite a no. It would have been a short. Well, it's not fifty three of them at least. I only did no, three. There's a lot of detail, um, and we only oh. really know if it's real. If it's well, real, it's it's his own account, and he's an absolute nutter. I'm sorry, I haven't really added much because I just am speechless. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty shocking. Yeah, it is. It is, it is. It's all of that. I don't ever want to talk it's about it. It's hard to know what to say. We sometimes have a debrief about these things, but ugh, no. it's all just so wrong. I'm depleted by that story. Yeah. I know. And you came in a bit you know, loose as well. It, it, yeah, that's it two in a row, yeah. It's that thing of when someone says it with such conviction and, mm. you know, the, the letter to the mother, oh, my God. It really is the stuff that. That's weird that, too. That, the letter to the mother is so weird. It's the stuff nightmares are made of, though. Like you know, when you when you grow up having fears about things, this just ticks so many boxes yeah. as to ticks every box. I think the only thing that's missing is a fucking submarine. Yeah, exactly. That's the only bit <laughs> too missing. Too, too, too soon. soon. Actually, on, on the submarine, the idea of it imploding suddenly and you're dying instantly is I'm all much up for less. That. Same here. I much thought you'd all see that. Disturbing. Totally. It's done. Waiting for your death in the dark and the freezing cold while the yeah. oxygen runs out. That, yeah. that was so horrific to think that that is what yeah. happened to those poor people. Oh, no, I think everyone's bre- it's breathed a sigh of relief. Well, I mean, it's not a happy ending, but it, at least they didn't suffer is the point. Yeah. They weren't tortured. Uh. I'm just thinking I want to unmake him because he's a monster and he should never have come into the world. Mm-hmm. But I also feel like that's kind of easy in some ways. So... I might just remove him. I might have this magical machine where I remove him from the timeline so he can't do any of those things, but he's still a formed individual, so he still feels and whatever. And then I'm going to maybe put him in a meat grinder and just grind him up and fertilise the garden with him. Brilliant. Yep. That'll certainly get rid of him, which is good. Well, his last name was Fish, you know, and I like putting a bit of sea salt on the garden, so, you know. Would he foul your veggies, though, or would he? Blood and bone. 
bit of blood and bone. Charlie Cam, I'm, I'm still lost. What do you reckon, Clark? I'm still lost. I normally, <laughs> I just I normally, don't know what to say. Well, I normally get there really boy. quickly, but I'm like, oh my god. And I think the bit that he actually likes, yeah, I'm no the match pain as well. Like you said, like I, I yeah, yeah, you know, you can't punish him to something super painful. No. Maybe he needs to be punished like to. It. When I went to um, Tokyo Disneyland, also known as Tokyo Disneyland, there was a yeah. ride. Oh, I would never have thought that. I know, that. right? <laughs> the, the first one was the Japanese for Tokyo Disneyland, though. Oh, Tokyo Disneyland. Oh, right, and then it's Tokyo Disneyland. Oh, yes, would never have <laughs> yeah, yeah. uh, Like <laughs> McDonald's is Makutonarodo. That's another story. So, anyway, at, at Tokyo Disneyland, there was a ride called It's a Small World. And you know the song, yeah, it's a small world. every Disneyland. And so I, it's a that's it. That's it. So I feel like perhaps he could yeah. be sentenced to going on that ride for all eternity with the kids who are singing It's a Small World out of reach. You can't touch them. There's no pain involved. He's just constantly tortured by the the opportunity, but also it's kind of a happy world, which is not what he's used to and what not, hopefully not what would make him comfortable. So maybe that would be torturous for him. And if that was torturous for him, then that's where he can go. At this point, I'm thinking that I'm the one who's had to serve the sentence because we've had to listen to that fucking horror story. That is horrendous. Yes. I just cannot go. She is the crime, isn't I'm she, really? I'm at the end of my tether. <laughs> <laughs> it all happened in 1934. It's nearly 100 years ago. I know. It's just so much. Oh, that's all right. Sorry, my mistake. That's fine Matt, then. Matt, There's nothing wrong with it. I just I think it's actually where, where I find things like this particularly disturbing is when we shift from someone having committed a crime to someone like premeditating things and then the level of just fear that, Mm. you know, when someone's so exposed to what's going on to them and it's prolonged and I cannot cope with that, that's one of my biggest fears is that, you know, not that someone's going to kill me so much as that someone does it in that way, which is just your the prolonged horror of it. Mm. That I find difficult to deal with. But it's the letters. That level of detail and the smugness that comes with, well, I've done this and I've done that and then I had to do that. And then, you know, he's quite eloquent the way he speaks in those. I'm like, I can't. Imagine getting that letter. Like you said, six years on, Schmitty. I don't know how to, I don't know how to punish that because there's nothing in my repertoire of things that I can pull out that would have any impact on someone that is. Even if you did do what he did. just put him in a pit with uh, Chikatilo. Yeah. Even if you did what he did, the letter is completely unnecessary. Like you you don't don't have to do that at all. Until his eyes are gouged out. Maybe you won't like it that much. Surely there's a tipping point. You know, like it's like, oh, that's nice. That's, oh, no, hang on. And then it's all gone too far. And and suddenly you're... Did he love anyone in his life, do you know? I don't know. He seemed to like his children. He seemed to be fond of his kids. And I think he liked his wife. There was no indication that he abused either of any of them. It's almost like he compartmentalised it. It was all, you know, that's that's the family and that's the life. Hideous. Yeah, I don't want to ask any more questions. I'm done. Sorry. (laughs) I'm out. (laughs) And that's where the podcast ended. Yeah. We've made it to episode 100. Well, considering I didn't then, even hear, after after he went back to the dump at Sing Sing, where it was, I didn't hear what he did, I, but it went on for so long. And every time I'd lift oh, the, I saw the you doing up, that. you'd say, 
stew yeah. and I'd be like, no, no. And for our listeners, at one point while I'm reading it, I do, I will sound like I've laughed. I've laughed you at did. Swanee taking Oh, is that what you were laughing at? Listening a little bit. I was horrified. <laughs> and then putting it away. And then, You've been doing this for too long. I felt like it was a tambourine. Did you think it was like a tambourine, <laughs> yeah. like lifting it up and down and lifting it up and I down? See, I just went on it. and on. I'm like, she's still fucking reading out that letter. Oh, my God. It's horrendous. I could see it in my peripheral vision and I, oh. that's why I laughed, not because I thought anything in the letter was funny. No, of course not. I know. Sorry about that one. So thank you for listening to that. Yes, that was our 100th episode. And, you know, I didn't want to end it with, like, do our 100th episode with something that, you know, was a lad Bible. I didn't want to do a lad lad Bible edit. I wanted to bring something, for want of a better word, meaty to the table. Um, And so there we go. It was a lot of true crime, (laughs) a little less comedy. (laughs) I don't know. We had some laughs at certain points. Well, you did. But as we say every week, (laughs) miss you already. Ciao, ciao. Bye. Ciao. Ciao. Thanks for listening to Trial by Wine. You can contact us at trialbywine at gmail.com. Please rate, review and subscribe to Trial by Wine on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like to support us, you can become a patron at www.patreon.com, Trial by Wine. Or visit our website, www.trialbywine.com, to donate to us. Your support will help us cover many more cases and apply wacky sentences. We really appreciate you listening and hope you tell everyone about us. Our cover art is by John Christo and music is by Beauchamp from pixabay.com. 